0: You know, it's you're, you're you know you're you're at the pool and you're laying around in your lounge chair until the, you know the blonde walks by. That's an eleven out of a scale of ten, and, and you know you take your sunglasses off. So um, that's these fish are doing the same thing, man. They see that orange woolly bugger and they're like, hey man, what's that? I'm she not gonna go, and and we catch them fluently on that stuff
1: that was george cook describing why he loves orange red and chartreuse flies for Stillwater. he's back georgie c laying out another good one for us today on the wet fly swing fly fishing show welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today we'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing fly tying and much more Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you can, uh, take a break right now, press pause, and share this episode with one other person who needs a dose of stillwater goodness. George Cook is back on the podcast, uh, this time to share some tips on lake fishing. Uh, as we focus on a couple, a few lakes in Washington, we find out about one of those lakes uh, on Isaac's Ranch. We hear about some of the other uh, great lakes around the area and dig into the step-by-step to catching huge trout off of the bank. Let's get into this one. So without further ado, here is George Cook on Instagram at State of Spay. Well, let's, I guess we'll kind of officially uh, start it off here and looking back at, um, you know, so we had you on. I think it was like nine months ago. Maybe it seems like it was a little bit longer, um, but we talked about the history. No, I think that's about
0: right. Is that I right? Think it was. I think it was Marchish. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Marchish. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So. So. And we talked about the history, some of the history of Northwest Spay and the Spay game and all that, which was amazing. Uh, today, I think we're going to dig a little bit into uh, some lake fishing, still water, that sort of thing. Um, but before we do uh, get there, just give a heads up of what you've been doing in the last... I mean, I guess it's been COVID, right? Has COVID changed your life drastically?
0: No, I've, <laughs> I can tell you, David, <laughs> I've had the biggest fishing year that I can remember. No kidding. Um, personal best year for... Rainbow trout, I caught a 25-pound 25 25 pound rainbow trout in the state of Idaho. Um, a personal best pike off the Yukon in Alaska. Personal best spay caught king on the Kenai. <laughs> uh, personal best redfish about a month ago in Louisiana. So I've had a personal best fishing year, and I've had a whammer hunting season with a personal best elk, archery, personal best whitetail, personal best mule deer. So yep. it's been, you know, COVID's been a year of some great outdoor events for me.
1: Wow. So have you been, have you been able to get like on a plane or has this been all by a car?
0: No, I've been on plenty of planes.
1: Oh yeah. And, and there's how, what is that? What is that like? You get on, there's just like anywhere you go in the store, you, you put throw on your mask and all that.
0: Well, I think Alaska Airlines has probably, you know, put forth thus far maybe the best cleanest program of nobody sitting next to each other. Whereas I've been on a number of American airline flights where the planes are relatively stuffed. Oh yeah. But you know, they're they're running filters and they're doing this and that and, yep. and you know, so for that that part I think they've done all they can to, you know, create a safe environment for their customers.
1: That's cool. Yeah, it's cool to hear because I haven't been on a plane. I mean, I haven't been on a lot of planes anyways, but I've got some trips. I've tried to play, you know, looking at next year, right, next uh, next spring, hitting like um, potentially Belize or Costa Rica, and it sounds like maybe there's still that might be an option.
0: Yep. Yeah. Nope. I think some of those, both of those destinations you're likely
1: to be going to. There you go. Awesome. Well, that this is great. Great news there. Okay. Cool. Well, um, one of the places I want to dig in today is, um, and this has come up, I remember when I first talked to you, this uh, Isaac's Ranch, it seems like, you know, your name is kind of synom- uh, <laughs> synonymous with, um, you know, Spay, uh, but uh, maybe not as much with the Stillwater, but what is, can you explain what this Isaac's Ranch thing is all about and how you came to connect with it?
0: Sure. Well, I was the guy that founded it, at least on the guiding side, and it's a great story. And so I'll tell you. So in 1987, I worked at Coffin Streamborn in their Bellevue, Washington store. You may remember yep. the Kaufman brothers. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Randall and Lance, they had stores in Tigard, Oregon, a suburb of Portland, Bellevue, a suburb of Seattle, and only one in downtown Seattle. I worked in the Bellevue, Washington one. And one February, during the All-Star, um week break for the nba the game was in seattle um a guy came in the store kind of walked into the store i addressed him kind of wandered down by the waiters i walked over to ask him if he could use any help and he he looked at me and he said you send people on trips and i said yeah i said we've got a whole catalog of destinations where you want to go and he turns around looks at me and he says well, I've got a couple of lakes on this ranch of mine over in eastern Washington. And he begins to tell me, you know, holding out his hands for the size of the fish. And, you know, it's very quickly evolving into a fishtail, right? And I started to ask him some questions, you know, surrounding, you know, insects. And I asked him about, hey, do you see, you know, little blue helicopters that we would refer to as damselfly adults? And he goes, yeah, I see those. And, I see this, and I I said, do you see a lot of these little things that look like mosquitoes, but they don't bite? And he goes, yeah, yeah, there's swarms of those in the spring and early summer, those are chironomids, right? And then he said, man, there's one thing I just see tons of, tons, there's tons of them. I go, what's that? He goes, these little tiny shrimp. Mm. And boy, that's when the light bulb went off. And I went, is that so? And I said, You got any pictures or you got anything you could show me? Because I might be able to help you with this. And his name was Kurt Isaac. And he he attended the All Star Game. I got his phone number and I gave him about three days to get back to Cooley City, Washington. And I started calling him every day. And I mean this guy was a young guy, he was kind of my age at that time, you know, so he was late twenties, maybe thirty. I called him every day. And because he's a wheat farmer, he's on a tractor or in the fields every day. I think it took me about 12 days to finally get him on the phone. And I said, hey, man, you got those pictures? You got you got this in the mail for me? And he goes, man, I got to get to it. I got to. And he finally sent some. And he sent some photographs. And he sent a video, standard video. Oh. And this video showed up. And I immediately walked over to the player there at the store at Coffin's Bellevue and put it in. And it was your mom and pa sort of, hey, we're walking around the lake and we caught some fish. But I'll tell you something, David, there wasn't a fish smaller than 18 inches. Yeah. The average one looked in the low to mid 20s, and there were some that looked high 20s, like 26, 28. So I got him on the phone that afternoon, came over there that following Sunday. And I think a couple of us landed seventeen fish, and I think we got one that was seventeen inches, and we got one that was twenty nine. And so I cut a deal with him that day, at the end of that day, was March seventh, nineteen eighty seven. And I cut a deal with him that remains in place today, which is what, you know, what is that thirteen? So it's thirty three years later. And this is arguably the greatest stillwater fishery in the state of Washington. Um, And the key, the driver to it is, is limited pressure, unbelievable biomass led by the freshwater shrimp, which packs on, you know, tremendous pounds and sizes. And the fact that we roll Kamloops rainbow trout in there. Now I was the outfitter of recognition in there for 29 years. And then I handed it over to what, a kid who had become the head guide because he lived there and he did the most trips. And his name is Darce Canoble. and Darce lives in a uh, Euphreda, you know, which is a mere hour from the ranch in Douglas County. And we have two lakes. I still get over there and fish. I kind of host trips a couple of years. We have two lakes, One's 60 acres, one's 40 We manage them like deer ranches in Texas, meaning we're trying to run a certain level of fish per acre and we're trying to maximize the smorgasbord um, of biomass in there for these Kamloops who grow at an extraordinary rate. Um, We run about a hundred fish an acre in one lake, the 40 acre lake, otherwise known as the upper lake. And expected fish in there tend to be 17 to 28 inches and then the lower lake which is the crown jewel of the ranch 60 acres we tend to run about 55 to 65 fish an acre and that lake last year had a 23 inch average and i don't know how many fish we caught between 26 and 32 inches Hmm. countless numbers and these aren't just big long fish these are big fish like yeah on one of my hosted trips, I had a gal, Julie Sear from Gig Harbor, who's quite an accomplished angler. She landed with me a 29 and by 16 and and a 30 by 15 rainbow that morning. So that, and we didn't even measure anything that didn't appear to be 28 or nine inches. So it's really quite a fishery, and you can go about it in float tubes, pontoon boats, prams, off your feet. I'm an off-your-feet guy. I can't remember the last time I was in a boat there. And we're fishing, you know, largely five- and six-weight rods, although we also fish them long, four-weights, you know, 496, 4100 stuff, and some of the sage families, but a five nine six. Uh, six nine six fifty one hundred. you know, and the Sage X or the Sage Sonic tend to be kind of our favorite pet sticks for that stuff. And a guy can fish, you know, leeches all day long, chronomids all day long off floating lines. Some people are going to fish chronomids off, off strike indicators. You know, you know, there's, yeah. there's no indicators on my watch. I fish <laughs> old school coronamid, slow hand twist, old school. Uh huh. But it's quite a fishery, and we only fish it about two months in the spring and a month and a half in the fall, and we only fish four days a week, which, as I like to say, every day is opening day. Huh.
1: So, so that's yeah, the secret. Yeah, it's quite a place, David. Yeah. It's
0: good. Our largest rainbow ever was 32 and a half by 18 our largest brown trout of all time was um, thirty point five by nineteen. So we've we've got a real history of monsters in this place because of the natural biomass that is found in these lakes, which is somewhat of a byproduct of
1: lakes in Douglas County, Washington. Okay, and this is uh, this is like eastern. What, what's the closest town? Cooley City.
0: Yeah. So we're southwest of Grand Coulee Dam, about an hour. Okay. And we're we are, you know, if you looked at it Cooley City is kind of center state of uh, in Washington. It's about a four hour drive from downtown Seattle.
1: Okay. Gotcha. So yeah, and and this is uh, yeah, Eastern. So lots of sun, lots of growth, and then and so I I guess the first thing are there some of the photos? These fish you're you're talking; these are like twenty pound. Some of them twenty pound fish.
0: No, we've never cracked a fish that that hit that. You know, we've certainly caught a number of fish that you know we'll tell you are in that nine to fifteen pound Uh range.
1: That's and, uh, that's fine. That's plenty good for me. <laughs>
0: you know, but those, yeah, I mean, there are there is upper end as you're gonna see um, in that environment in eastern washington or or anything in Eastern Oregon. it's and it was it was originally owned by the Isaac family, Curtin John Isaac. It was bought by a gentleman from Colorado by the name of Mike Thorin some years ago, like two thousand five ish, I believe. Mike bought the ranch from the Isaac family. Yeah. He allowed us to continue to run an outfitted program on there led by Darce these days.
1: Oh, I see.
0: And it's called back to the wall is the name of the ranch these days, which is kind of a name that's synonymous with Banks Lake, which is kind of just over the ridge from where we are. So it kind of all ties in, but it's referred to as back to the wall. But, regionally it's, it, it, will probably always be known as the Isaac Ranch, yeah. just because of the history. Yeah. yeah. And it, just because of the history.
1: And it'll be known again. Now that we're doing this podcast, the Isaacs Rants, when, when people, you know, when they search, it'll be on Google. So it'll, it'll live out there a little yeah, longer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. It'll certainly come up on that. And you know, we, it's, we, we've, we've had brown trout. We've, we've, Kamloops rainbows have kind of been led the way. We tried brook trout in the late nineties. They didn't take, we did try tiger trout, which is a brook Brown cross and had pretty good luck with them. In fact, we had a guy catch one that was, I think this fish was, was scaring 13 pounds and it would be a probable state record on fly. Had we killed it, but we released it. I believe it was, I believe that fish was 29 and a half by 16. It, yeah. it was a thumper. Wow. The guy from New Mexico caught it.
1: Uh, and that's um, 29 inches long by a 16 inch girth. Like the...
0: 16 in girth. Yeah. That's kind of how we tend to, you know, when you hear us yak about a big fish over there, you know, we'll say something like, yeah, 27 and a half by 16 Yeah. Or, you know, you'll, because we, you know, that's the easiest way to kind of tell you what we've caught. And yeah. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've caught some crazy-looking ones over the years. I remember a guy catching one with me that was a 17 by 14-inch rainbow. It looked like a permac. <laughs> in fact, he wanted to take it home and put it in his aquarium. Um, and that guy would later guide for us, and still guides for to this day. His name is Jay Robeson, but he was a client then. Oh, cool!
2: And it was in a
0: crazy-looking crazy looking fish if you could imagine 17 by 14 oh,
1: i can't like that's uh, yeah it seems yeah. like a free, freakish <laughs> that'd be a good one for a, a, yep. a good yep. one for the uh, the gram but um okay so we're gonna dig into a little bit on some you know tips on catching these things in a second here but i just wanted to touch on you know so you've got these private ranch so basically the only way to get there is to how do you do that would you just connect with um Maybe describe so Dars
0: Canoval, who who owns a little fly shop in Urefre Washington called um, uh, Desert Anglers. Um, Darce's phone number is 509-750-0019. Darce Canoval, and he's the head guide. He's the booking agent. Um, there's there's always some level of openings a year. Because we tend to take 8 to 12 people a day, but we only go four days a week. We tend to fish a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday schedule. There's the odd Friday that's fished. Um, So there's always a chance to get in. And it's an April, May phenomenon. We fish. We used to fish March, April, May, early June. And then over the course of the years, weather patterns it kind of pushed us into about an April 5 to May 25 schedule in terms of good water conditions, temperatures on the front end and then getting out of there before water conditions get too warm on the back end because you could fish, right? You could easily fish to mid June fishing wise. In fact, you could go further than that. Although it would become much like deer hunting where it's a strictly early late proposition after about May Really, it's kind of that after about May 15, uh, but your water temps get to a point where your release mortality starts to go up exponentially to a point where you just you you just need to get out of there. So we get out of there at around May 25, and then we'll fish in the fall. Tends to be about a September 10 to about an October 15 deal and we get out of there when waterfowl hunting starts because the ranch is leased out to some boys that are, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, waterfowl hunting,
2: gotcha. which is really good
0: until it ices up in
1: that country. Oh yeah. Huh? Yeah. So this yep. is cool. Okay. So basically uh, the, the, uh, desert anglers, if people wanted to connect and I mean, are there, are there still openings? Is this something where you have to kind of go quite a ways in advance or do you know anything? No,
0: no, you could do, do, do there's going to be X amount of openings. In any given season, because you know we're, we're running eight to twelve people a day. Oh wow! Yeah, we're only fishing four days a week, and they're on two lakes that total a hundred acres, and eight, eight, ten, twelve people. They get lost. They're, they're lost on. Oh, that's cool. A hundred
1: acres of water. Yeah, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, and some that's guys are on their feet. I'm always on my feet. I'm a bank rat. Um and then some guys are in prams, pontoon yeah. boats. You know the repeat angler level there is extraordinary. We've got you know out of thirty-four, I think it's thirty-three or four years of operation. I don't think we've got any. But we might have two guys that are all thirty-four years. There's two individuals that I think, but there's there's a couple of groups that have been in there for thirty. Huh. 30 31 of the, those 33 which is extraordinary amazing extraordinary
1: yeah. That, is, yeah that is amazing okay cool so okay well I'll put a link into the uh the desert anglers so uh, if anybody wants to connect and, and now, now this lake it sounds like obviously it's unique you've got loops, but when you compare it to other lakes out you know in that area or maybe in Washington east side you know are, are the things that we had talked about as far as catching fish could you use these things in other lakes do you think
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Washington, Eastern Washington has got tremendous levels of what are referred to as Basin Lakes, Columbia Basin Lakes. And they stretch once you cross the Columbia advantage, Washington and get on the other side, you've got a, you've got basically from there to Spokane, you've got both North and South, and, and going east, you've got all sorts of watersheds that are excellent, excellent, what we call desert, desert lake fly fishing opportunities, generally for rainbows, some with rainbows and browns. And the techniques that we utilize are no different than the techniques on almost all these lakes. And there's lots of lakes, some are very well known, such as Dry Falls, Lenise, Nunley. Chipaka quail lake um there's you know they go on and on and on and you know these lakes tend to you know a lot of them open march 1st and depending on the winter they can be really really good right out of the gate um some tend to pick up steam depending on elevation and winter duration you know will pick up steam end of march first part of april there are some that tend to be again because the elevation and winter duration tend to be more of a late April May phenomena, you know, so on and so forth. And you know, the more you get in the Okanagan, the later, the later staging those are. The more down in the in the true desert <laughs> of the Columbia Basin, that stuff that's gonna be, you know, Moses Lake South. Um, is going to be more of an early thing so for the lake enthusiast he can kind of plan a fishing year in washington state that can, can conceivably kick off in the month of february say on rocky ford spring creek north of moses lake which is you know a spring creek but it's somewhat of a lake environment in and of itself Transition to Basin Lakes in March, other lakes in April, other lakes in May, working further north into the Okanagan region, up up towards Tenasket, up towards Twisp and Winthrop. And you, you've got a host of things that are going on. And that's not to mention the really, really good lakes that are surrounding Spokane.
2: Yeah, that's right. Which
0: There's tend to get going. Those tend to get going in 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 an April, May, June platform. Gotcha. So Washington State is a great one for lake fishing.
1: That's cool. Okay,
0: great, great great place for lake fishing. And you know, methods. A typical, you know, if you want to talk a little tackle, David. Yeah. You know, typically, you know, if if a guy is armed with a full floating line, he can do a lot of damage with chronomage with you know what we call snow cone, uh, bead head chronomid type patterns black red um olive motor oil which is kind of an amber you know size 10 12 14 kind of lead the way you know with size 8 being really big on one end and size 16 being small on the other floating line 10 foot leader tipped out at 3 or 4x is is a go-to on that or an indicator setup that you know can run that thing below an indicator between four and 14 feet is kind of typical and then intermediate lines you know the rio's got a famous line called a camelux and another one called an aqualux and these lines sink at 1.5 to 1.75 inches a second and it's it's the most deadly lake line in the west today it doesn't matter where you are you could be in you know it could be in oregon in the month of july it could be in washington in march montana in August. And if you've got an intermediate line in that camo Lux, aqua Lux sort of set, you, you're, you are ready to be a lake fisherman, but you know, sinking lines go type two, type three, type five, type six, type seven. And when, and when you hear that nomenclature thrown out there and you go, well, what's a type six? Well, six means 6.0 IPS inches per second. So if it says this line's a type three, it's sinking at three inches IPS inches per second. And so, you know, a lot of times we'll tell guys, you know, hey, you got a floater, you got an intermediate like a Camelux, and then have yourself one good stinking line, a type four, a type five, a type six, um, something that can get you down. It gets you down into you know a certain, certain zone that you may want to fish streamers. You may want to fish chronomids deep. On the ranch, we tend to live and die off floaters and intermediates, but I've watched some clients over the years, some really savvy guys that I've, I've guided clean clock with type 4 and type 6, particularly in the month of May, particularly in the middle of the day. But there's certainly watersheds where those faster sinking lines are going to have their day in court. Um, there's a famous reservoir in eastern Washington. You may have even heard of it, Dave, called Rufus Woods. And it's got the biggest rainbows on public water in Washington State. And typically a type six or what you know we call a deep seven at Rio um, type lines are employed for that ball game to just get down into certain zones, depth ranges where, you know, the fish tend to congregate and feed. So, you know, lake fishing is a game of floating line when you're a chronomid game and then various sundry sinking lines from an intermediate. Again, that'll sink. Typically it's about a 1.75 sink rate, all the way to a type seven, you know, 7.0 IPS, IPS being inches per second.
1: Okay. So cool. So basically, and and that's exactly what I had uh, Phil Roley on quite a while ago, and we talked all. Oh still. yeah, there's yeah. your
0: guy. Yeah, yeah, oh.
1: and, and it, but he said exactly the same thing as far as lines. He's like, those are the three you need, and I think you know, obviously, he's the he's known mm-hmm. as the Kuranda one of the Kuranda mid guys. But um, so that's good. So I'll. I'll um, I'll kind of note maybe a link to that episode as well, but I just want to touch you. You mentioned off the foot, so that's interesting because no, none of my other Stillwater guests have really talked as, specifically about fishing off the bank. Um, can you take us there? Like, so when you get to the bank, are you thinking about things differently? How are you fishing? How are you getting down? All can you talk about that a little bit?
0: You betcha. Well, I, I refer to myself over the course of thirty plus years as a lake guy and I was, I was fishing lakes before this ranch and I've largely been a bank rat largely. Cause I don't feel like fooling with boats. Um, whereas my wife, she gets in, she gets in a small pontoon boat and you see her at the end of the day when cocktail hour arrives. But, <laughs> um, you know, but the, the majority of lake fishing folks tend to be in a boat craft. I tend to be on my feet And I like that because, um, I like the, I, I like walking, um, I've, I've become a real student over the years of paying attention to places where fish are actively going to be found in lakes. And, you know, the big difference with trout, you know, people go, well, you know, what's the basic difference between river fishing and lake fishing? Well, in rivers, fish take up positions. They take up positions based on structure, starting with rocks, logs, um, you know, dugouts, um, holes, drop-offs, various and sundry things where fish can either find cover or ambush points, okay? Well, in lakes, the fish are constantly moving. They're constantly swimming. So they're covering areas. I think fish do have home areas, Fish have migration areas based on sunlight, temperature, um, ice conditions, low water, um, oxygen levels in in certain levels of of the water column. So fish move around in lakes. And, you know, a bass fisherman will always tell you, listen, we're looking for points. We're looking for drop-offs. We're Mm -hmm. looking for this, that, and the other. And it's the same thing when you're on your feet. and trout in lakes we're looking for coves we're looking for points we're looking for drop-ups drop-offs that come up on shallow flats where fish like to come up and prowl but have access to deeper water same sort of thing and you can well imagine david after you know not just 33 years on this ranch but another another 10 years on basin lakes in washington state you get to where you identify this stuff Mm -hmm. and you not only identify it, but it's no different than, Hey man, that tree stand that I sat in Kansas, you know, that I've Mm -hmm. killed X amount of deer out of it's, it's, it's reliable travel corridors, right? So it's travel corridors for fish and we've got them, you know, (laughs) believe me, I, I know every inch of those hundred acres and we can't get at all of it on our feet but there's certain sections that we can get at and we can cast effectively and and we can absolutely light them up because there are areas where these fish frequent and when you catch a fish you caught that fish you released him there's others in there there's others circulating out of deeper water into there all the time in a way lake fishing on your feet is not a lot different than bone fishing off your feet in a saltwater environment, because those bone fish are on those flats. They come out of deeper water. They're on those flats. They're circulating in, they're circulating out. Same thing in these lakes. And so, yeah, we like points. We like drop-offs. We like, you know, flats where fish particularly early and late come onto the flats to feed, you know, and what's a flat? We'll say, you know, say you've got water that's 12 feet deep, but then slopes up and comes on water that's, you know, three to six feet deep. That's, we call that a flat. Yep. And, you know, most lakes have that. Some have lots more than others, you know, and you, gotcha. you see this stuff globally. I've fished New Zealand several times and New Zealand has got fantastic lake fishing. That's largely ignored by Americans and you, you've got notorious lakes there that have flats that are the likes of giant bonefish flats.
2: Mm.
0: And this is all good, good habitat to seek out for the fly angler.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. This is awesome. I, and I wanted to note again, um, uh, or uh, Denny Rickards another, another big Stillwater guy was, was on a while. back Yeah, I've back. guided
0: him. I've guided him. Oh, cool. And Brian Chan on Shand- the ranch.
1: There you go. There you go. Oh, that's yeah. a, that's and those awesome. Oh yeah. guys, what,
0: when Brian Chan gets in his pram, he is literally Darth Vader <laughs> out there. Um, Bobo has no chance once that guy <laughs> sets up shop. And Denny Rickards um, yeah. is the finest you know streamer fisherman that I've ever seen. and yeah. uh, I've guided both those guys multiple times, and, and they have cleaned clock every time I had them out
1: there. That's amazing. So, so Chan, so Chan is Darth Vader that did that analogy. Who is uh, who's Luke Skywalker?
0: Well, we've got some uh, probably Greg Thomas of Angler's Tonic, who comes in with a, a much more relaxed approach and yeah. tends to catch lots of really great fish. He was the editor of American Angler when oh, it was cool. still in print. Yeah, Greg Thomas. You can find him on Instagram at what's called Angler's Tonic. I'll, I'll I'll give him the Luke Skywalker. Yeah, okay,
1: award. okay, that's cool. And uh <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of this stuff, I mean, the hunting. You mentioned that a while back. I mean, we're probably not going to dig into that today. Although I do want to get an episode. Maybe if I start a hunting podcast down the line, or or, or maybe whatever it is, we'll get you back on and talk about hunting because I want to dig into that. But. um Yeah, for for Rickards, he mentioned exactly what you're saying. You know, he said that um, even, I think he uses, like, boats and stuff or whatever, but he said you got to target those fish that are coming in from the deep. And he said, don't even worry about the deep. Just target when they're coming in towards the shore to feed. And that, that was, like, his point. So it sounds like if you're on the bank, you're probably, you're overlapping with those fish coming in the feed. Is that kind of what you see?
0: Oh, no question. But, you know, just over the course of time, you learn spots. Where these fish are notoriously coming in and cruising. And those fish come in, you know, and say they come out of that deeper water and they're on this, that you know, they're kind of working in this cove. Th- these fish are feeding on scuds. These fish are feeding on chronomid larvae, chronomid pupa. They're feeding on damsel fly, nymphs when they occur incur them. And so and chronomids are the number one food source for stillwater fish in the western United States, is is what's, you know, what's called a coronomid, and they feed on them in a larva, a pupa, and to a lesser degree as an adult, and that adult, again, looks like a mosquito, except he's never biting you, Um, and so that's the number one thing that you can fish in lakes, because that's the number one thing that those fish are feeding on. Now, in our lakes, we've got scuds, and the one thing that people find always interesting with us is we're never fishing scuds. Even though it's, it's the protein bodybuilder substance of the watersheds on that Isaac Ranch. we're never fishing. And if we do fish them, it's usually in isolated spots because we've always kind of thought of it as we're, if we're fishing a, a scud, a freshwater shrimp, we're, we're in a needle in the haystack. We're literally, our fly is a needle in the haystack. Whereas a size 8, um, you know, thin mint, woolly bugger is going to stick out in that environment. A hailbop leech in burgundy is going to stick out in that environment. A snow cone chronomid, a beadhead chronomid, black, yep. size 12 with a white, you know, with a white bead on it, that's, that's something that a fish is looking up at. And that size 10 or size 12 is kind of a magnum size of that. And that that becomes, you know, hey, there's a T-bone steak. (laughs) But we don't tend to fish scuds very much. But when we do, we fish them in spots where we know we've got fish kind of isolated. And that's the time we'll do it. And we don't do it very often, believe it or not.
1: Yeah, that's right. It makes sense. And that's kind of the, almost like the Euro-nymphing thing with those flies, how a lot of them are the hot spots and they, some of them don't look anything like the natural insect, but they catch tons of fish. Is that, would you say a similar thing where you're, you're more, you're not even imitating anything? Well, they're
0: more, you know, think of flies as suggestive, you know, I mean, there's the very, very famous woolly bugger that we fish, that's fished all over Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, Montana. It's called, it's referred to as a twin Lake special or more commonly known as what's called a thin mint. And it's an Oregon fly by origin, but it is ungodly deadly. I've I've used it in Island Park in Idaho. In fact, I fished it. You said you had Jerry Darks on. Yeah. I fished one day with Jerry on Island Park some years ago and we just pillaged them with sinking lines and we were fishing the, the great and fearless thin mint size mm-hmm. eight. And, you know, that fly comes off, it, it could be taken as a leech. It could be taken as a, as a fairly good sized dragonfly, have, you know, so on and so forth. But a lot of these flies are suggestive, but we catch a lot of fish, Dave, in the middle of the day, what's the middle of the day, it's called one to five in the month of April In the month of May. We catch a lot of fish in that middle of the day on orange, white, and red
2: hmm.
0: woolly buggers size oh, wow. eight. And we call it the change-up fly. And there's another very famous fly called the carry special, yep. which is a Washington state kind of um, you know celebrated fly. And we fish a chartreuse one in the size eight. Wow at that same time and basically the theory is is in that one to five period it's kind of the lull of the day you know it's you know in deer hunting most of deer bedded at that yep. time of day and then trout fish in the fisher they've kind of had their morning feed you know they'll kind of get back on it you know as the sun starts to drop in the evening but they're opportunistic and you know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you 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 start to run a fly out there that that's a color that they don't typically see. Yeah, you know it's you, you're you know you're you're at the pool and you're laying around in your lounge chair until the, you know the blonde walks by. That's an eleven out of a scale <laughs> of ten, and, and you know you take your sunglasses <laughs> off. So um, that's these fish are doing the same thing, man. They see that orange wooly bugger and they're like, hey man, what's that? I do yeah. that, I gotta go, and and. We catch them fluently on that stuff. That's sweet. And uh, it's it's a sleeper deal, and it can go on. Sometimes in the month of March, when we used to fish in March, in that colder water, not as clear water, we would fish those type flies by design that time of the year. But as the water warms and gets more temperate, we it we it's a middle of the day thing. It's a you know one o'clock to five o'clock
1: thing. Yeah, one o'clock to five. Okay, and yeah, yeah. When, and when you said that orange, white, chartreuse, red, I was not thinking wooly bugger. You know, it's funny because I I've fished lots of wooly buggers, and that that's amazing. That you know, orange, um, such a that's a killer tip for anybody who's listening. Yeah, it,
0: it, you'd be shocked at what happens with that with those those four colors. Yeah, really turn some heads, and I think it's simply. You know they're they're seeing something they're not used to seeing. They're apex predators to start with. And you know, I think it'd yeah. be like dropping a an albino. Impaling into the middle of the uh, Serengeti and to think those lions aren't going to pay attention
1: yeah, exactly. to that—same thing would be, Same. you know, pretty naive. Well, well, this right. is odd. This is odd. Go, you know, moving back to the space steelhead, which we talked about on our last show. Um, you, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Greg, he he put on. We were out steelhead fishing, summer steelhead, and I think it, maybe it was a little bit slow. He put on this char- all chartreuse fly he tied. I mean, it, there was no, no no color but chartreuse. And I had never used it. It looked really weird for summer steelhead flies. But he caught, I think he caught three fish. He changed it up and like right away. I mean, what do you think? Is chartreuse? I mean, I know it's a good color like the green butt skunk, stuff like that. But it seems like maybe it's also just a good uh, main main color to use.
0: Well, you know, when you're getting into the enabrums theater. Yeah. I frequently have got people quizzing me about fly colors, right? And it could be fly colors in reference to steelhead it's more often than not. In my case, it's fly color in reference to Chinooks. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the one, the two colors that in the anadromous theater, whether it's, it's Chinooks in Alaska, Chinooks in British Columbia, steelhead anywhere in the Pacific Rim, there's two colors that should always be in your box. And one is purple and one is chartreuse. And I think in the steelhead theater, purple is far more important than chartreuse. And in the King theater, chartreuse is greatly Mm. more important than, than purple. But why do I think those two colors do what they do? I think they're, they absolutely boomerang back to the saltwater environment that those fish grew up in. And, there's, there are iridescent colors that are found in food substances like shrimp, like squid, that, that reflect those two colors. Uh, there's iridescents that are found that are very much a chartreuse hue in things in that ocean environment, again, in the squid-shrimp theater. And when a fish takes a squid, that squid is pretty notorious for blowing up into a kind of a purple ink. And mm. so the purple is very much an imprint color with an fish. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, chartreuse in Kelly green, chartreuse in black, chartreuse in blue, these yeah. are notorious king salmon colors. But those colors have kind of a wavelength time frame in freshwater, meaning that I will tell you that once fish get a certain mileage in a certain number of days into a river system. Um, Chartreuse has its day in court in tidewater, out of tidewater, but then that color tends to start to not be as effective as red and orange, pink and orange, red and black. Um, other, Other colors tend to take over as those fish reach up further into systems rather, and this is notoriously true in Alaskan waters that you've got certain flies in tidewater that are just absolute ace. And then you've got flies that colors that tend to be much better further up into systems as these fish travel more miles, more days in freshwater from from that tide water came out of the ocean into tide water moved up blah 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 steelhead certainly have tendencies at certain things and and purple is a color to be graciously applied to your fly box whether it's summer run or winter run in the steelhead
1: theater no yeah. doubt about it that's good yeah well thanks for uh uh, summarizing that little, going off on that tangent, I wanted to bring it back to the, um, the, the trout game, the still water, uh, and lake fishing. So, so now let's just think somebody's out there and they're, they're grabbing, they're kind of new to lake fishing and they're and they I think you mentioned, was it a nine and a half foot five weight? Is that the rod of choice for your? Yeah, we yeah. really
0: like the nine and a half footers because, you know, when you're in a pontoon boat or you're sitting in a pram and the prams are the most deadly watercraft, out there and in the Brian chance and the Phil rallies are the poster childs yep. for that ball game. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they set those double anchors, you know, off both ends of those prams and those guys are absolutely lethal, lethal still water anglers. Um, but you know, you're generally sitting in a lake. Yeah. You may be standing up in your pram cast and, um, but anything you can do to increase your height off the water, with a nine and a half or even a ten foot mm. fly rod, five weight, six weight, four weight on the light end, yep. you are going to greatly enhance your ability to function and function efficiently. And then when you're off the bank, and you know you, you've got cattails behind you, you've got sagebrush behind you, you've got oh,
2: yeah.
0: various and sundrious rock formations and whatever is behind you, which tends to almost be almost always be in those environments in upslope environment behind you. It's not generally flat, not generally. I mean, there are some spots mm-hmm. where it's flat coming to the water's edge, but a nine and a half or a 10 foot rod is, is greatly a better tool for that sort of game in terms of being able to keep a back cast elevated above, you know, various brush, this, that, the other, so, okay. you know, the nine foot fly rod is the king of the West. A so five, a five weight nine footer, you know what we call it, sage of five ninety uh, dash four, is going to be the king of trout fishing, and it's fine lake fishing, but it's not the real tool of lake fishing. The nine and a half and the ten footers, uh, are five six weights, um, you know, guys when they really 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 get into lake fishing. You tend to see guys show up with absolute golf bag. Oh, right. (laughs) And you could have a guy that's got a floating line set up on a nine and a half foot four, nine and a half foot five. He could have an intermediate on a 10 foot five or nine and a half foot six. He could have that type four, type six on, you know, a nine and a half foot six or a 10 foot six. And he's kind of got his clubs, just like the golfer. He's got his clubs. He's got his chronomid rod. It's rigged up. He's got his intermediate. It's yep. rigged up. He's got the bomber sinking line. There's no change in extra spools. There's simply the bass boat approach to, hey, grab the other tool. Let's fish that. Yep. And yep. late guys get to where they, they will have those setups and they will be Strapped onto that pontoon boat or laying in that pramp there's no change in extra spools that's for kids <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, no, I mean, that's that's all awesome. it is. I think having the right tool for the job makes sense. So, well, you know, so so if somebody's walking out, let's just take it to the bank. So if somebody's going. They they have a lake. I I can't remember the name of the the public lake you mentioned, but there's some out there in Washington. But they're heading out. They grab their say their nine and a half foot five weight. Um, and well, I guess it sounds like maybe if they had to pick one line, could you, would you go with the dry line or is it hard to just say one line? Do you do no, I would know,
0: go with the intermediate five. Okay. Did, if I had to grind it out with one thing, I'd go the intermediate, Yep. because it's going to let me play the greatest, the greatest yeah. array of things.
1: That's right. That's right. Yep. And and the uh, you don't want to get into the game where you're like putting on like weight onto your your dry line necessarily. It's better to just to kind of have the the intermediate. Well, you can
0: accomplish yeah. that. You can accomplish that, you know, with beadhead flies, oh, whether yeah. it's a wooly bugger or chronomid. But you can also fish chronomids off an intermediate line. You simply have to. You simply have to, you know, have a timing system that's going to allow you to, you know, to patrol through that water column without yep. going too deep or, you oh, know, this, that, or the other.
2: That's it. But
0: yeah, let's, let's take a nine and a half foot rod, five weight. Yep. Let's put an intermediate. Let's put a Rio Camelux weight forward five on it. Let's put a six to seven and a half foot leader that's dipped out in three X or two X and let's put the Heisman Trophy Lake fly on the Thin Mint size eight. And let's, let's get out there and, you know, let's, let's find, maybe you see a fish roll, maybe you see a fish rise, you know, let's go step into there. Mm -hmm. First thing we do is look behind us and see what we've got for a runway for a backcast. Check that out. Always check that out. Look before you cross the street. (laughs) Um, you know, nothing, nothing will get you to pay attention to your cast more than breaking a fly off behind you. Yeah. So, you know, you make that cast and, you know, any cast in lake fishing is good.
2: Hmm. Any
0: cast is good. If, if you can throw 19 feet, fish it. If you can throw 79, fish it. Yeah. If, any cast is good cast because it turns out it's in the drink and the fish are in the drink and a lot of fish get hooked right off the rod tip off your feet. Lake fishing, a huh. lot of fish get hooked right off the rod tip out of prams out of pontoon boats. So there's no bad cast. Yeah. So you make the cast, you know, whether it's again, if it's thirty feet, great. If it's fifty-two feet, take it um, and let that thing sink. Typically, with an intermediate, my first cast, I probably let sink seven to fifteen seconds, and then all fish are retrieved. That's about a five to six inch rapid retrieve with occasional pauses so that fly is scooting about five to six inches a pole it's very rapid i've got pauses built into it they're random i might strip you know four times pause seven times pause doesn't really matter mm-hmm. just getting a rhythm get a rhythm and get get to getting mm-hmm. and um don't fish too light a tippet this is where fluorocarbon pays off in spades um fluoroflex plus you know the generation two type fluorocarbon with those streamers 2x 3x don't fish 4x because all you're going to do is leave them with jewelry <laughs> um you know 3x and 2x and even 1x you know, a lot of times depends on water clarity but you know fluorocarbon is largely invisible so therefore fish heavier and you know fish that thing until your nail knot or that loop to your leader connection hit your rod tip
2: hmm.
0: fish it all the way to there you will be shocked how many fish you will stick at the rod tip over the course of the fishing season in fact i usually get it to where it's really close and then i swim the fly either left or mm-hmm. right where i can visibly see it hmm. and i'll i'll get a couple of fish a year that were obviously tailing that thing, or maybe not obviously tailing it, but they were in that zone, and it came. up, They came across it at that moment, and you'll watch them literally rush it and eat it. You do the same thing, you know, with with largemouth bass as a bass fly fisherman. I mean, you'll catch yeah. loads of bass every year doing that same stuff. Yeah. So, you know, and I tend to like to work. You know, if you stay in one spot. On your feet, I'm probably going to stay in that spot for 15 to 45 minutes before I move. If I catch a fish, I probably add 15. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: sometimes I might be in a spot three hours because I hooked enough that I didn't feel the need to move, particularly with fish that are constantly moving. So I may be stationary, but I'm dealing with fish that are coming in and out of coves coming in and off points of you know ambush points you know so on and so forth but i might only move 60 75 90 feet down that shoreline and dip myself back in i also make cast i cast to a different spot every time in fact i tell guys lake fishing if you step in examine your back cast See what you got to work with. Again, look before you across the street. I'm gonna make casts from basically ten o'clock on the clock face to my left to probably about, you know, let's call it nine thirty to two thirty. I'm gonna make cast, I'm gonna spread those casts out if for no other reason to keep the game interesting. I could just throw at noon, noon, noon yeah. continuously, and it might not affect what I do, but I tend to like to play an idea that listen, I'm going to spray these things left to right, and a right-hander is naturally going to throw to the left a little more of a natural sort of setup. So, hey, start at 930 and just start fanning them out all the way to your right side at 230 and see what happens.
1: Yep. That's perfect. You know, yeah. there you go. That's a great tip. Yeah, there's a strategy. David, there, I think. Right? I think we got to cover. So, uh, and then I guess talking about, you mentioned a little bit about kind of reading the water, but what is the bank? I mean, if you take it to you know where you're fishing, say at Isaac's Ranch, um, you know, are these kind of are you are these drop offs off of the bank? Is it a gently sloping, or you know, what are you looking for on your bank to, to if you're fishing off the bank?
0: Well, it's again in the mornings. In the mornings. I like these coves and flats, meaning okay. areas where fish are going to come up. They're going to come out of deeper water. They're going to cruise. They're going to cruise drop offs. They're going to cruise flats. Um, you know, they're in there. There's lower light on the water. They're quite comfortable in that water environment. You know, when the sun yeah. gets higher, they tend to seek out you know, deeper water, although not in the spring, they tend to be a lot more wide open in terms of being in those prime spots. But as, as water temps warm, as air temps warm, then they start to act more traditional and come off those flats in big sun and warmer temperature, Mm -hmm. both air temperature and water temperature. So I'm looking to kind of find them in certain places in mornings those same places in the evenings in the early spring, those same places all day. But I can tell you that once, you know, you get a little more sun on the water, then the ACE places to go find are the, are the slope drop-offs, meaning you're on the bank. If you take three steps out from that shoreline, you are now over your head. Yeah. So if you take one step, you're looking at that drop-off that's basically now at your feet and it's sloping and it's, you know, it's on a 45 degree slope. That's a great place to explore. And I'll have, I'll have anglers come in and say, listen, you're standing on the drop-off drop-off is running the line, you know, right in front of you. So let's make our first cast. If 12 noon's in front of you, I want you to make your first cast at about um, eight o'clock on the clock, mm-hmm. eight thirty, nine, and I want you to run them out to about ten thirty, and then I want you to turn around and roll them off from you know basically two o'clock to four thirty off your right side, and if we don't stick anything, then we're going to travel up this bank approximately the distance you were casting, and we're going to set up shop again. Yep and that's great middle of the day stuff yeah there's there's really no harm in that anytime but you know those fish will like those drop offs cuz they can they can stay in deeper water they can ease up a few feet they can ease back down they've got security cover they've got lots to work with to find various and sundry food sources you know everything from leeches to dragonfly nymphs various chironomid larva, which is everywhere, scuds, which are generally everywhere, you know, various, you know, even stuff like salamanders and, and other things will be found in those drop-offs. A lot of times those drop-offs are rock, the rocks, the rock base sort of rip-rap. And, yep. you know, all this stuff is good. It could be uh, smallmouth in Wisconsin. It could be trout
1: in Washington State. That's right. Are you guys getting any uh, dry fly action at all? Are you fishing dries at all? some yeah we get we get some now the one
0: thing um that's a very interesting phenomena in washington oregon is you know we're we're getting our fish from private hatcheries right and the fish that we tend to get are are Kamloops rainbow trout which are canadian in origin mm-hmm. they're they're triploids yeah so when they're diploids and you've got, you know, say for argument's sake, you've got 50% box and 50% hands. That's a different table of food and behavior than all triploids. Triploids notoriously for whatever reason, I can't tell you why I can just tell you it's the case. They don't look up.
2: Hmm.
0: They don't look up diploids, which are normal, normal non-sterile fish in both bucks and hens they look up Hmm. so depending on what you've got for fish in these private lake entities all over the west if you've got triploids you pretty much threw your dry fly game out the window if you've got diploids you're in the game and the game then becomes kind of there's four opportunities for dry fly fishing there's evening chronomid adult skittering fly opportunity. There's damselfly adult stuff in the month of May. There is calabatus mayfly stuff in April and May, although, lake fish, rainbow trout, brown trout, are notorious for being far more interested in the nymph. Of the of the Calabatus mayfly than the adult. it's It's one of those great murder mysteries of hatches in the West. And I've seen this in Washington, Oregon, British Columbia. It's you can see waves of adults and they're not touching. Them. Uh, the other phenomenon that goes on, particularly in British Columbia and to a lesser degree in Oregon and Washington and Montana, is you see what's called, a caddisfly known as a sedge or traveling sedge. And that tends to be a little later phenomena. So we don't tend to see it anymore because we're not fishing in the month of June because of water temperatures. But in British Columbia, it is notorious to see, you know, what's called the traveling sedge, um, which is, you know, essentially a caddisfly and a big one. And we do see them on the ranch, but you don't tend to see them until about june 7 june 14 and we saw this in the early years of the operation and we would have phenomena where we had fish we had chronomid adults we had calabatus, we had sedges and certain fish were feeding on certain ones of them but when you can find the sedge hatch and british columbia again is kind of the go-to for that the kamloops region specifically up, up there around a hundred mile house in BC. And if you had rally or Chan on that's those guys backyard and they know what the best of anyone on the planet, that phenomena is a really, really, really cool um, dry fly surface phenomena. That's very visual and very exciting.
1: That's cool. That's cool. All right, George. Well, I think, um, you know, like like always, we'll leave a few things on the table for next time. And uh, uh, But uh, before we get out of here, just wanted to check with you in the next, you know, six months or so. Anything new? What, what do you have coming up?
0: Well, still got a couple of mule deer hunts on the books um, here in January.
1: Oh,
2: wow.
0: And then, um, um, you know, obviously, David, it's, you know, it's, it's basically winter out there. It looks winter out there today. Yep. Um, you know, winter steelhead is going to be upon us when these rivers drop back in after these rains. That's right. That's right. The Last few days. But, um, you know, you, you probably ought to get me back on sometime in February. Cause we've got some new schedule lines coming from uh, Rio and there's some pretty oh, wow. exciting stuff on the horizon there. It's less than a month away. And um, yep. I'll just throw that out yeah. as a little teaser, but we could, Probably reconvene and call in February and give the, give the the students in the class a little lowdown on what's what's that, on the menu. That's for right. that, right. What that means to them as bigasters.
1: That'd be awesome. Um, you also mentioned, I think last time you were here, I think it was episode 131. Uh, I think you mentioned you were th- looking at a trip to the Kola Peninsula. Did you do that?
0: No, they canceled it. That was one of the COVID victims. Oh, it was. Yeah. Um, it's funny you bring that up. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've got a pile of stuff upstairs in a particular office room. I've got my Russia pile, Yeah, and my Russia pile is still there, and I've got an ungodly level of flies and equipment, and we're hoping that that will come off the last week of June in 2021.
1: Gotcha. yeah So, so the Russia pile. So, if you go into your into your, your place there, I mean, you've literally got because you still do some travel. You've literally got like uh, here's your you know your hunting pile, your 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 uh, Russia pile. I mean, is, take us there. What does that look like? How do you organize your stuff?
0: Well, one room is nothing but but Sitka gear and and archery and some limited ammo. In fact, I got to go up there and deal with it today. Um, yeah, I got one room that's nothing but. You know, one section, that's nothing but bass. I'm a, I'm a huge bass fly fishing enthusiast. Oh, cool. I, I go to Texas and Mexico every year just for that. Huh. There's you an episode something Yeah, there's our next, there's um, our next episode. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I, I love bass on the fly. It's as good a fly target fish as exists in North America. Um, you know, and then the King salmon, Section and pile and the Alaska Rainbow pile. I mean, yeah, I could keep you busy. But come on over t- today, David. We got some organization. To do. <laughs> I will.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a plan. I mean, what do you? So, like, if you look out uh, into the future, um, you know, what do you see? Say, say, let's look out like 10, 15 years. Well, let's just say ten years. I mean, do you see yourself uh, still doing a lot of traveling, or, or do you think that that slowly slows down?
0: Well, I think you know, uh, you know, it's, it's People, you know, age, they you know, number one, you have your preferences, right? You, you know what you like to do. I know what I like to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I kind of look at each month of the year is, you know, if, if we're going to do something, fish hunt, you know, what, what are we doing in April? What's, what's June yeah. got on tap?
1: Do you have something in every, every month? I mean, do you have some, you know do you think of it like say January, February, March, do you have a big trip or a big thing that you like to focus on or do you, or is it more like every few months?
0: Well, I've got, I've got certain things that are going to unfold in certain months that are traditional months. I mean, yeah. for instance, the month of November is, is a great deer hunting month. Um, you know, I, I hunted Montana, Eastern Colorado, Texas. Some years you, you put Kansas into there in the month of November. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that was all. You know, mostly archery stuff. You know, September's elk hunting, archery elk, right? Yep. Um, June is king salmon with the spay rod in Alaska. So,
2: hmm.
0: you know, you you know, as you do this stuff, you certainly find the stuff that you like the most. Yeah. And yeah. you find you know you know this month is kind of you know you don't want to go do something just because. Hey, I can do it in November, but maybe that's not a great month to be, you know, to be thinking about, you know, steel, summer run steelhead, November is a little half cocked because you, you miss September, October, and you're not in the gut bucket, of the winter run season from, you know, mid January through mid April. So, you know, you got to go when it's prime and you got to try to make that happen, you know? So, yeah, I've got my months, and I've yep. got my favorite stuff. I was in Louisiana a month ago, right now, red fishing, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. And that's a great month to be down there. Hell, you could be down there right now. That's right. Um, that's right. Um, you know, so I'm big on, on seeing what's going on yeah. in any given month and trying to maximize that because, you know, time is time. is time is money, right, you know? uh, you people have only got so much time.
2: exactly. So let's
0: try to be in the bucket when we can spend that time, you know,
1: let's, yeah. That is let's the,
0: go get in the bucket. The bucket fishes best, David.
1: <laughs> that's the struggle. The struggle is, is that, you know, our most limited resource is our time, you know, and it's like, it's the biggest that's struggle right. because you want to go like, for me, I'm looking out at some trips, right? And I'm just like, oh, man, there's so many. Because, you know, I i haven't done as much traveling as probably some, you know, as far as around the world and stuff. And it's just like, man, there's just so many trips that there's no way in my lifetime I'm going I'm to be able to get to all. So I've got to start to prioritize and think like, okay, you know, this year, what, what can I do? You know, what can I check off that bucket list? So I don't know. For you, when you look at that, do you feel like you've checked off most of your bucket list uh, places?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I've certainly had a lot of years to to plug and play, right? So I'm probably down to less than a half a dozen things that, that, that are things I haven't done that I want to do. That's cool. And, uh, you know, that Russian Atlantic salmon thing is certainly on the fishing side of the street is probably number one. And then hunting-wise, I'm kind of a creature of habit. I do what I want to do and it's largely deer hunting all over near North America. And i you know, I've been to Africa, I've been to New Zealand, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I tend to do what I want to do in that. But I think a guy ought to look at his bucket list and his bucket list might be putting him on a 17 hour plane ride to Africa or New Zealand, yeah. but it also might have him on a 17 minute drive in his car to go do something that was right under his nose that he just continues not to go get after in time yeah. to do it.
1: That's true. That's true. That's yeah. All. Yeah, no, I hear there's a lot of, yeah, there's tons of, you know, tons of resources right at home. So that's a, a good point. All right, George, well, I'll let you get out of here. Um, and then I guess if they want to find you on Instagram.
0: Two ways to find me, David. One is at state of spay. That's the word state. The word of spay is in spay casting state of spay. And on the hunting theater at Mule Deer 16, Mule Deer 1 6. And there's a story behind that that you can ask me some other time. All right.
1: <laughs> I'll put links to those in the show notes. And uh, cool, George. Well, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks again for another great show. Uh, and this is going to be awesome. It's going to fit in nicely to our uh, our Steelwater uh, Theater. Um, and uh, yeah, until the next one, we'll have a, have a good day. All right, sir. Take care and Merry Christmas. So. There you go. If you want to find all the show notes, with all the links we covered, just go to slash 179 Please share this episode with one other person today, if you get a chance. Uh, if somebody's out there, maybe they're new to lake fishing and they want a few tips. Maybe they want to get started right now. Um, all they need is a rod, like you heard George say today. It's uh, pretty simple. Uh, if you can pick up an intermediate line, that would be helpful. Before we get out of here, I wanted to break down a quick little summary of what George covered today, uh, just in case you're on the go. This is a Recent podcast I was listening to was doing this, and I think it's a great uh, way to wrap things up here. So, here you go. I think we've got top 10 tips on lake fishing with the fly from George Cook. So, number one, floating line for coronament fishing with a 10 foot leader. So, we kind of got into that at the start. Basically, he did talk about the three lines you need, and this is one, two, three. So, number two is intermediate line, the, um, the camel locks from Rio. George noted as a killer line. And then he also talked about having also as your third in your quiver. Uh, Either a type three, four, five, or six Um, uh, type six line. I guess we talked about the the different weight sinking rates, um, which is essentially type six is six inches per second. But pick one of those lines. I guess I'd probably recommend one in the middle. Uh, Maybe start with a type four if you if you could only grab one. Uh, Number four, look at the flats and points and drop offs to find fish. So again, we talked. He made the comparison between like bone fishing. So look at those flats when they're coming in to feed. That's a great tip we highlighted this one big time orange white and red midday in size eight is killer color uh again this was a pretty funny analogy rewind it to the start if you want to hear george's analogy uh, number six the chartreuse carry special uh between the one and five time period same thing so another another one that sticks out another classic the carry special seven Go with intermediate if you could only pick one line. So again, if you're just getting started and you can only, and you just need to get going on lake fishing. Maybe you're fishing from the bank here. Just get the intermediate because you can kind of do a, probably a lot more. It's going to allow you to sink down a little easier. That's a great start. Number eight. Um, George mentioned one x, two x, three x. Basically, go a little bigger on the on the leader and the tippet uh, because some of these fish, especially in these bigger areas, are going to break you off. Uh, so just go a little. Don't don't worry about it use fluorocarbon if you have to number nine fish uh, fish the fly all the way into the nail knot hitting your rod tip this maybe is the best tip of the day and essentially bring that thing all the way and he noted that he hits fish right in at your feet so right in all the way so just bring that fly and maybe even give it a little shake and bake at the end a little shake and bake uh, number 10. Cover the water from 10 to 2 systematically across. So George noted that, you know, basically covering that water from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock and then moving. And I think he noted he spends like 30 to 45 minutes at one spot. And if he doesn't get anything, that's kind of when he uh, when he moves on. So there you go. Top 10 tips from lake fishing with a fly from George Cook. That is a wrap. I want to thank you again for stopping by today to check out the show. I know you have a ton of podcast choices out there these days and I appreciate you and, uh, and your listen today. It is huge. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I guess that's all I got for you. I'll let you get out of here. We are, we are still approaching, um, the big number of 200, which is going to be a pretty epic day when we get there. So again, if you have any, uh, any, um, you know things that you can think of that would be good to highlight and celebrate 200 definitely reach out to me dave at wetflyswing.com that's all i have for you i'm looking forward to catching up with you soon maybe on the river maybe online or maybe on a trip we've got some big giveaways coming up this year so i'm excited to hopefully connect with a few of a few of you maybe you that are listening right now if you're interested uh, definitely Go to, uh, I think we're going to have it at wetflyswing.com slash giveaway and see what the recent uh, giveaway we have going here. So, um, so there you go. Have a good one. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.